Hey everybody, thanks for checking out this new episode of The Taste. This is Doug Schaefer at Schaefer Vineyards and I really appreciate you dropping by. On this podcast, we talk about the world of vineyards, winemakers, and wines. And I can't wait to talk with our guest today, who's been in this business a long, long time and has not lost his love for trying new things. We've got a lot to cover, so let's get started. Hey everybody, Doug Schaefer here. Welcome back to another episode of The Taste. Uh, today we have a longtime vintner friend of mine, 20 or 30 years. I can't keep count. He'll have to help me. But we normally see each other on the road. Uh, we normally have long lunches together with lots of wine. But with the pandemic, we haven't seen each other in a long time. Donald Patz, welcome. Good to hear your voice. How are you? I'm doing very well, Doug. Thanks for including me. Oh man, you bet. Now, I was thinking about you last night. Um, I'm trying to think about the first time we met, and I'm thinking it was the tasting group with the gang at Flora Springs. Was that it, or yeah, was it before probably? That? You know, um, our daughters were rough. You know, a little bit different in age, but kind of in the same school. So we probably crossed paths at um, even elementary school in Saint Helena. Right. But certainly by the time they were playing softball. That's right. And so that's that's uh, late '80s. So that was a while back. I think, <laughs> but we won't count the years. But uh, you've been involved out here in California for a long time, over 30 years, But and I, I, I want to hear about what you're doing in the wine biz, business, but um, the most fun part about this thing, Donald, as you know, is, is to hear people's stories and their history and where they came from, and I know you and I have something in common. We did not grow up here in the Napa Valley. We came from far away. I was Chicago, and you were from where? Originally Minneapolis, and mm. then I lived. Yeah, I lived, moved uh, from Minneapolis to Eugene, Oregon, in 1969, um, and then moved down to California in 1983. So Minneapolis, how long were you there? What age? 14 years. Going 14. into ninth grade is when I left. Oh, man. So what was, uh, what was that like? Was that... Uh, Cold. Cold. <laughs> big, really big <laughs> mosquitoes, you, right? Don't you remember the mid, upper Midwest? I mean, well, yeah. yeah. Big mosquitoes, the state bird of Minnesota, <laughs> actually, is the loon, but it might as well be the mosquito. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, I, I did like... There were certain things... I mean, we had... It, I think the reason you stay in places like this is because of family, right? Yeah. No, it was it was great. I mean, you know, and uh, and I know that your dad had something to do with Dick and Jane books. Am I wrong? No, you're right. He worked for a publishing company and called Scott Forsman. Yeah. Yeah, I so remember learning to um, read books on Dick and Jane books, or to read on Dick and Jane books, and it really it was amazing when I realized that your that your dad had something to do with that and. Uh, I thought that was a you know pretty cool touch point, but um, living in Minnesota, one of the, the beauties of being in a place like that upper Midwest where uh, education is really a high priority. I, I really I realized it when I moved to Oregon, and this is nothing against Oregonians at all. It's just that um, the whole way that they funded schools in Oregon was quite different, and you could you could really feel it. I mean that there was a, a limited budget versus Minnesota where we got new books every year. Right, right. Yeah, I, I do. I do remember that. The Chicago area was a fantastic public school system. It was great. Um, so Eugene, Oregon. So high school, high school in Eugene. Yes. What was high school I like? What'd you do? 
I wanted to be more of an athlete, but I just wasn't. So I just kind of kept my head down and was glad I was getting through it. I ended up getting a job at a grocery store, which is probably the beginnings of my curiosity about wine. So I was, you know, a box boy at this little um, independent store. And um, but one of the things you would do is, you know, do all kinds of different stocking things. And one of, one of the places I would be walking by quite a bit was the end caps of Annie Greensprings and Boone's Farm um, and Rhinelander and stuff like that. And you're, you're like, what the hell is this all about? And why are there so many different kinds? You know, I mean, what's that? How could there possibly be more kinds of wine than there are kinds of cereals? This is, doesn't even make sense. But um, yeah. So, so that's right. I, I, was gonna, yeah, I was going to ask you later about where the wine thing hit. So that was the, the early, the early I think part. that, you know, that was sort of the first bump in the road that sort right. of uh, adjusted my trajectory. But, you know, high school was, it was, it was fun, but, you know, I was, I was really busy with uh, trying to, trying to help out the family, trying to make sure that we, you know, we had stuff. You were a worker. Well, good for you. Good for taking care of family, man. That's great. So um, was there wine in the house? No, my my parents uh, were teetotalers. Did you know that my dad's dad was a teetotaler? <laughs> <laughs> I did not know that. Yeah, but... which was hilarious. And then dad comes out and makes starts making wine. Yeah. But, but... Did he get like like stern lectures whenever he would? Go, oh no, he go did. I, the, the famous story was uh, dad comes back from the war after flying twelve or 11, 10, 12 missions, you know, in a B twenty four. Get, you know, getting shot at in the sky. He's 22, comes home and walks, you know, brings a six pack of beer in the house. You know, and his dad's like, get that out of here right now. And dad's like, wow, really? <laughs> so it didn't matter. Yeah. Well, I started when I was already moved out. So uh, it was, there was never a, an issue about it at my, at my home. I I'm sure that my mom was a little disappointed on my career choice, but was hopeful that my experience could be transferred to something more wholesome um, <laughs> at some point, which never obviously happened. So there you go. No, are you kidding? You make really good wine. It's a beautiful well, thing. Well, I, I, I feel like I, you know, I've done some interesting stuff in my life, and I'm proud of what we've done. It's just that not always you know, your family doesn't always see you the same way that the rest of the world does. And uh, so there you go. Well, that's part of the definition of family, as we all know. But that's a, <laughs> that's a whole, maybe we'll start a new podcast. We'll call it The Family yeah. with Donald Families. and Doug. Yeah, <laughs> it'd be, be a big hit. Um, so after high school, we're off to, we're to then. Well, I, uh, my mother was actually in, when we were living in Eugene, so my mother was actually working at a local community college. So I did two years at a community college, then transferred to the University of Oregon um, and got a, ended up getting a degree there in biology. I was a pre-med student, if you can believe this. And during what, uh, I actually was on, made honor roll one time. So I was in, incorporated into the uh, pre-med honor society at the University of Oregon. And one of the things they do, which is really unique, and I don't know any other college where you can get this experience, there may be others, but they actually contacted a, um, a number of different physicians in Eugene and asked, hey, would you mind if, um, if a University of Oregon student who's pre-med could uh, shadow you for a few days, a couple of times, you know, two or three times a week for a couple of weeks? And they, they got agreement from that. So I ended up trailing behind these doctors and it was kind of a, 
at this moment, at that moment, I was already becoming a little bit interested in wine. And so we'd have these conversations where the first thing that would happen is they'd say, you know, how are you doing in school? So you'd talk about school at this moment. And then the next time you saw them, it was, where did you go to college? And where did you go to med school? And then all those things. And so by the third time you saw them, you've gotten all that stuff out of the way. They'd say, well, what else are you interested in, Donald? And I'd say, well, I'm kind of interested in wine. And every single doctor got this sort of dreamy-eyed look. Um, like, oh, yeah, someday, man, that would be awesome. I'd love to have my own little winery and vineyard. So, you know, when I got the second no thank you um, letter from uh, the med schools, I said, you know, maybe I can go into the wine business without having to go to med school. You know, it seems like that's what they all want to be in. So I, I felt pretty good about that part of it. But yeah. Well, you saved yourself four, four five, six, seven years, you know. You yeah. Own, and probably two or three hundred thousand dollars worth of personal debt. Right. <laughs> <laughs> You know, it's funny. When you started that story, I thought you were going to say, well, I was shadowing these doctors. And after a couple of times seeing these patients, it's like, no, I don't want to do this. Do <laughs> That's funny. Went, it went a whole new direction on me. So, all right. So, so no med school. So the wine business. So what'd you do? I started off working for a little tiny, uh, actually my first introduction was I, I was running a wine club for a local retail store. And so I was setting up, you know, wine tastings and bringing in winemakers and setting up restaurant uh, dinners and stuff like that. And uh, then a wholesaler came to me and, you know, this is like a year and a half later, right. wholesaler comes to me. I'm still working at grocery stores at this point to make a living. But this wholesaler comes to me and says, you know, uh, because of your work with this wine club, um, everybody in town knows who you are, which I don't think was true, but you know, I was flattered by the idea. Um, why don't you come to work with us and, you know, make a bunch of money? So in the next year, I frittered away my entire life savings, making a bunch of money in the wine business. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, it's tough. I started off doing sales and delivery so that I could, you know, so they could justify um, some kind of salary part of it. But right. sales were, were really difficult. And, uh, you know, I, I learned a lot over a short period of time. But I realized at the same time, if I was interested in working in the wine business at this point, probably Oregon, it wasn't the best place for me because um, most of the owners weren't making money with their wineries hmm. and they certainly couldn't afford to hire somebody like me. Now, remember, this is like early 80s. Uh, and so not today. I'm sure that everybody's super successful in Oregon today, but um, <laughs> just like us, right, Doug? Uh, but, <laughs> but the, uh, but it was obvious that if I was interested in doing something in the wine business, I probably should move to California. And so, um, that's what we did in 1983. Interesting. Yeah, you're exactly right. Cause back in that period of time, Oregon was coming on, they were growing grapes and making wine, but they weren't, you know, well, anybody making wine wasn't making as good wine as they are now. So I see what your point. So yeah. Um, so go to California. So uh, you picked up and head out. So was there a game plan? Did you know what part were we going to go? Are you going to go Central Coast or Lodi? Yeah. Or where were you going to do? So we, we literally sat in, um, in the kitchen and looked at a map of Northern California and said, hey, check it out. Santa Rosa is about the same size as Eugene. So let's move there. <laughs> <laughs> 
You did a lot of research there, didn't you? Oh yeah. The yeah. in-depth. Oh yeah. 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 I knew it. I knew everything. So, yeah. so you, you moved to Santa Rosa. First, yes, and and eventually, um, like about two years later, I got a job. I got my first real supplier side job with Flora Springs um, in 1985, and then uh, in after about six months, we moved from Santa Rosa over to St. Helena, which is why we crossed paths. That's right, because our daughters were right about born about that in '85. Yeah, Katie was born in '85. Yeah, Um, Lauren's '86. So there you go. Because that's where I met you. So we had this. uh, I was lucky enough to be invited to be in, in this tasting group with, uh, it was probably half the folks were winemakers, half the folks were sales folks, sales people. No, it was, it was, it was really all winemakers ex- except for me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure why I was in well, it. Well, cause I you organized of, it. We had to have the, somebody put the, it together. The, as, the as token other guy. But, um, but no, it was, it was a really interesting group. And in fact, it, I think they started in like 1978 or something like that. And, and I think there is an iteration that continues. I might be wrong in this, but I, th- I think there might be a, conti- a, a group that's continuing, despite the fact that members have come and gone over the years. Okay, I'm trying to remember who's there. You were in it. I was in it. Uh, Kenny Ken Dice, Dice, winemaker at Florida Joe Cafaro. Joe Cafaro. Um, Craig Williams, Phelps. Yeah, he was sometimes there, not always. Yeah. Uh, Mike Fisher. Mike Fisher. Um, uh, Ann Moses. And, and yeah, James and Hall. James Hall. Both both of them were were in it. Uh, right. And uh, there were other people who kind of can't. You know, would come sometimes, and then other times couldn't. Well, I was a sometimes uh, Glenn, guy. Glenn Salvo was was, yeah. was there. I was a sometimes because he always gave me a hard time because I didn't make it all the time. We, yeah, go ahead. Well, you had such you had such unique excuses. Why? Like, I had to tie up my tomatoes, and you know, needed to fold my socks that night. I had so. to bathe the baby. You know, I had to. You know, the cooling was off at the winery. I had to go check it. Yeah, I, I was pretty creative. I, I admit, but uh, that was a fun group, and uh, I learned a lot in that group. But uh, I also learned I could never. I always flunked the April Fool's tasting. Yeah. Everybody flunks yeah. that. Yeah. That was the it was the it was the most difficult. And what you know what you're talking about was the tasting where we would, as winemakers or you know, auxiliary members, um, we would line up wines that were totally blind, and you had to you know guess the vintage, guess the varietal, guess the country. you know the, the country, and um, you had it you know you could guess that. The place. So, if you thought it was, um, you know, Nebbiolo, you had to figure out if it was Barolo or Barbaresco, and from Italy. And uh, yeah, most people got the majority of them wrong. No, yeah, and, you and, get a, you get a point for every you know thing you got right. So the only right. way I got points is if we, if as I remember, I said, look, can we get a point if we call it if we know if it's red or white. And you guys thought <laughs> I was a fool, but it's the only way I got on the board. So no, that's not enti- that's not entirely <laughs> true, but. But it's a really instructive thing because what it does is, and it, you know, this is what I took away from it, Doug, is that, you know, that's not our job as winemakers. We're not right. really supposed to be able to, you know, tell the location of every wine that we ever taste, especially, you know, from outside of our local little area where we're working. Um, we do, we taste wines for different reasons. We taste wines, you know, to see if they're on track or if they're going haywire. Mm-hmm. Are there flaws or, you know, is everything cool? Um, and those are, that's a totally different way of looking at wine and thinking about it. And you really saw it in this group because my favorite tasting was one, I think we did a Cheval Blanc where 
several of the winemakers said, you know, oh man, if I was making this wine, I would have added just a little bit of acid, you know, kind of brighten it up. Right. And I'm sure I didn't make any friends that night because the next thing I said was, yeah, how many people here, and remember, you know, the average Cabernet at the time that we're talking about was probably $20 a bottle. Mm -hmm. said, how many people here are selling wine at $175 a bottle? Of course, nobody raised their hands. I don't think it needs acid. <laughs> I think it's Because it's selling okay at $175. So, yeah. My favorite was always Ann Moses when a wine had a little bit of, little bit of extra oak on it. She, her comment was, a shameless amount of new oak. I just love that line. But uh, fun times, fun times. So yeah. Flora, Flora Springs, you were there doing director sales for how long were you there? A couple of years, two or three? Six years. Six years. I left at the at the very end of the, of uh, so I was there all of five years or whatever it is. But um, yeah, I left at the end of 1990 and then went to work at Girard Winery um, in February of 91, and was there until 1990. The fall of 1995 at which point it was really obvious to me that you know i had to either decide to give up the little nascent project i was working on called paths and hall or make that my full-time job because you know if i can't make my own project work who needs to hire me to make theirs work right right but let's talk about paths and hall because it uh it started out as a small little project but became a very successful winery so tell me Tell me how that all came together. Well, James Hall and I met when we were both working at Flora Springs, and you know we had these ongoing conversations. The truth is, we mentioned the real, the, the main winemaker at Flora Springs was a guy named Ken Dice. We mentioned him earlier, but Ken saw me when I first started as a short timer because there had been somebody else in my job that only lasted about six months. So Ken. <laughs> Ken had no time for me. <laughs> just, what, why bother with a guy who's not going to be here in six months? So the only guy I could find to ask questions about the wines that I was supposed to then be representing to the world was James. And, uh, and you know, so we struck up this conversation. We kept talking about what was going on in the cellar, but also you know what we personally like to do. And um, James was hired to become the winemaker at Honig Cellars, uh, and. At that point, um, in 87, he was uh, tasked with finding custom crush projects that would fit inside Honig. Oh, okay. And I was already thinking, you know, I would really like to make a little bit of wine on my own because I'm kind of outside that group. Um, I'm focused on selling and, you know, maintaining distribu distribution channels for Flora Springs. But it'd be fun to be on the creative side and and use some of the things I've been thinking about. And James and I were, t were at lunch one day and, and I realized to myself, I didn't say it to him at the time that, you know, James actually has more technical background in the winemaking and I probably could help sell it. So this might actually be a business. Hmm. Um, and so we got together, my now ex-wife and James and Anne um, had dinner together and um, I suggested, why don't we try this? Uh, start a partnership to create um, Chardonnay as initially, and then eventually Pinot Noir. Um, and we made our first first vintage in 1988, and away we went. That's, and so you had a custom, so James made it at, uh, he was at Honig, and yes. you guys, so you your project was a custom crush project for It was, Honig. yeah. So, uh, and it, we were a custom crush project there for a long time. I mean, I think it was 18 harvests we did at Honig before wow. we were sort of 
we got too big and, and they wanted to get bigger. So it was time for us to find our own space. With you. So here's a question for you. So for James, because I was thinking of conflict of interest. So for James, working at Honig as the winemaker, but part of their gig was to do custom crust jobs. So he really didn't have a conflict because he was doing what Honig wanted him to do, is have some custom crush wine. But you're working at Gerard, or Flora Springs or Gerard, selling wine. Flora Springs first, Flora yeah. Springs, pardon me, Flora Springs and Gerard, and you've got this as doing sales, but you've got this side project going. I was always curious about that. I never talked yeah. about that. Was that, was that in, any tension, conflict on that? Well, I think eventually it was, uh, it, it bothered the ownership. I, I, you know, they didn't really actually say it this way, but I, be, I believe it, it contributed to some changes that uh, Flora Springs made in terms of their um, their marketing and sales. They eventually uh, chose to go a different direction, mm-hmm. and that's why I ended up um, moving on to Gerard. But going into Gerard, Steve Gerard knew up front what I was doing, so right. obviously if he had a problem with it, he wouldn't have hired me to begin with. Right. Um, but I, you know, the thing is, is when we started, it was like 200 cases. I mean, you know, dude, if you can't sell 200 cases, um, you might as well stop actually doing anything in the wine business and just go find something else to do. Uh, so it, uh, you know, for the first few years, anyway, it was so small that I really kind of saw it as irrelevant and didn't, I went out of my way not to talk about it when I was, um, doing anything for Flora Springs. Right. Yeah, you can't. But at the same time you sell out of your wine and Flora Springs hasn't sold out of their wine. They never like, Hey, what's going on? What yeah. Well, if they were making 200 cases, I could have sold out of their wine, too. <laughs> <laughs> Good point. <laughs> All right, so you guys start off 200 cases. You start growing. How long does it take to get to 5,000 cases, 10,000 cases? And eventually, how big did you get? So I think the first year that we did 5,000 cases probably was, <clears throat> I think it was probably 95 or 96, um, maybe even later. 96 or 97, somewhere in there. And then 10,000 cases was probably, you know, like five or six years later than that. And 2015 and 2016, just before we sold out to San Michel, um, San Michel Wine Estates up in Washington, we were um, at about just under 30,000 cases. Okay. And help me on this one. Am I, do, did you guys own, own any vineyard land? We didn't. No, we were, you know, we did not. And, uh, and we, but we had some great contracts uh, for some fabulous fruit. And it, and it was really kind of a learning experience for me. You know, the assumption was if you want to be in the wine business, first you have to go out and buy the raw land and you got to develop it. And I mean, that was, a, that was the model for a long time. Um, but I think that, you know, a lot of wineries, uh, whether they own land or not, buy some of their grapes. Um, and so, you know, my thought was, well, if you can buy some, why not just buy them all? Um, I didn't want to get up that early in the morning to do frost protection anyway. Uh, all right. But, but I mean, no land and you're buying all your grapes. How many growers did you guys have? <laughs> I mean, how? well, some of the, some of the guys were pretty big, you know, I mean, the Duttons are not a small production thing. And right. Martinelli's also own quite a bit of land over in Sonoma and, and have quite a bit of grapes. Um, you know, it was a, it was probably 12 or f- between 12 and 15, depending on the year, different growers. 
because I'm when I'd run into you locally, you're always like, "Well, I'm heading up here to. Go, I got to go see a vineyard in over here. I got to go down there. I got to go see a grower." <laughs> I mean, it's either you're on the road selling wine, or you were you were the grower guy because James make, is making the wine. So no, James was James was the grower guy too. But you know, it was fun. To, that was my favorite part. So you know, we sell a we sell a company to Saint Michel, and they go, "Donald, now." You'll only you can do all the things you love the best: travel around and sell the wine. And I, I laughed. I go, that wasn't my favorite part. That was the part I did because you know it, it matched my skills the best, probably. Right. Uh, within the group, but um, my favorite part was walking around in vineyards and kicking dirt kicking and talking dirt. to the guys out there and you know looking at the grapes and hoping that they were going to be just as good as they look like right now. Uh, what's what's because every grower is different. Yeah, and everybody's got different goals, and the winery and the winemaker has their goals. How do you keep twelve to fifteen growers happy? What is your secret? What's the key? You know, well, I guess we've we we chose those guys because they, you know, they were in alignment with what we wanted to do for the most part, and they understood why we were asking them to do stuff. And you basically, you know, it's like any other relationship. You treat each of them a little bit differently. You learn what it is that that they get upset about, and you, you know, you, and the things that they really like, and you play to the strengths of each one of them. And it isn't, you know, there's no. Uh, it's not like you're being insidious or like, you know, insincere. It's just you learn to, you know, to work with these guys. Um, and if they were difficult, then eventually we rotated them out of the, of the program because who needs another headache? Right. Um, and there, there were people who, uh, and you know, not to point fingers at anybody, but there were there were people who were better at talking about what they were doing in the vineyard rather than actually doing what they were saying they were doing. And you know, after a couple of vintages, um, you know, we'd find somebody else's grapes to buy, uh, and and. A number of those people went on to having successful relationships with other people. So it was probably us. Right. You find the people that work best with you, and you. The other thing is that we almost never argued about pricing. You know, it was within reason. Um, if it was another hundred dollars a ton, and they the grower was going to be happy because we were willing to go up a hundred dollars a ton. We went up a hundred dollars a ton on right, price, or a right. two, or three, or whatever the number was, as long as it was sort of tracking along basically with the way that pricing was happening in either Napa or Sonoma when we were looking for grapes in either one of those places. And as long as it wasn't like, well, the Napa average is you know three thousand a ton for Chardonnay, so we want six thousand a ton from you, um, <laughs> or alternatively, as long as it wasn't um, one a a requirement that we do it as a single vineyard designate and two that they got um a price based on our retail price uh then we were in pretty good shape got it and but you guys did do some single vineyard stuff didn't you a bunch. Hall? a bunch yeah oh we did a bunch yeah and we liked it i i really liked and i'm still doing that with my new projects but but i i think that um you know i think that it's it it, it speaks to the place that we're in we're in one of the most glorious places, and, I'm, and when I say that, I'm, I'm talking about both Napa and actually any place in Northern California um, that I've purchased grapes from in the past. Are, they're just remarkable, and we're so fortunate to be able to uh, to be able to you know buy these grapes or grow these grapes ourselves, whichever it is, 
um, and make incredible wines. I, I really believe we're living in kind of a golden age of wine, probably the likes of which humanity has never seen before. Mm -hmm. um, more great wines around the world than have ever been produced. And so here we are in uh, you know, a little blessed area and allowed to, uh, to make these wines and to share them with friends. It's just a real privilege. I'm with you. I'm with you. Even though, you know, even though you made Pinot, but that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, I realized how easy it was to make Cabernet. So now I'm oh, doing that too. Here we go. Here we go. All right. Full disclosure to our, our listeners. Um, this, this, our guest today and I have a long, long history and it basically is usually debating about the merits of Pinot Noir versus Cabernet. And he's a Pinot guy and I'm a Cab guy and We've never really resolved it, but we have mutual respect for good, really of good course wines. We so Of do. course we yeah. do. Yeah, uh, I'm sure that anybody listening to this can hear the the um, joy in I, our in our discussion. That we're, I, we we really respect each other and have a lot of fun doing it. But that doesn't mean that you don't get to poke the guy once no, in a while. No, poke. So. I can't believe you just said that. How easy it is to make Cabernet. Oh, okay. Well, <laughs> we'll, we'll talk. We'll talk later. Anyway, so Passon Hall, 2005. You guys opened a tasting room in Napa. You got a general manager hiring staff. Uh, 2007, your warehouse in Sonoma making wine. It just was, was just, was it crazy times? Because you're staffing up and making more wine? What was that like? Well, you know, it's, there comes a point in your business where you say, I'm, I'm doing a bunch of stuff, but am I using the skills that I have to the best advantage of our company or? Are there other people that we can bring in to support what we're doing and be become more effective? And and so we went through a whole process of uh, analyzing our business and trying to figure out how we could structure it in order to, for all of the partners involved to uh, to be more efficient and effective. And so yeah, basically the idea was let's bring some help in to uh, to help manage the business and also um, a number of other elements like the direct-to-consumer side of it, and the tasting room. Right, right. And uh, because it, it all changed so much in the 2000s, for sure. Um, it really did. You know, in 1988, there were very few people that were trying to sell all of their wine direct-to-consumer. And by the time you get to the early 2000s, that was the new model, is why bother to sell it to restaurants or retail stores or distributors across the country when you can you know, sell it to every, I've got a bunch of friends. I'll put them all on a mailing list and sell all my wine. Right. So you're rocking along. The 2010 comes along and <clears throat> here's a story I don't know. You meet a gal named Michelle and uh, your life begins to change with that. Tell me about Michelle. Sure. You know, well, let's back up one second because, you know, I'd, uh, it's not like we met while I was still married. <laughs> we... <laughs> I'd, I'd been divorced for a number of years already. So I, it's a, it is kind of a crazy love story in that, um, you know, my son told me that I should probably get a Facebook account. And, th and this had nothing to do with romance at this point. Just he thought that I would might enjoy that. So I got uh, <laughs> set up a Facebook account. Why not, right? Yeah. And so then you start getting, as I'm sure anybody who's set up a Facebook account back in the day, you suddenly get a whole bunch of people who want to be your friends that you don't even know who they are. <laughs> <clears throat> and why do they want to be a friend? So I, it, it dawned on me finally that you know, maybe at least some of these people are just curious about what a wine guy does, right? right. They recognize the last name. And so um, 
I said, fine, we'll just sort of, you know, unless somebody looks like a mass murderer, <laughs> then, <laughs> then maybe, you know, we'll just be friends on Facebook and that'll be great. And then I'll put on a little bit of stuff about my personal life and a little bit of stuff about what I'm doing in terms of the wines and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Anyway, so I have a bunch of friends. I don't know who they are. And one day I sit down, <laughs> I sit down and I look, I've, I don't know if I've shown you this picture or not. It's, it's actually the opening page on my iPhone is the picture that I saw that day. I'm just fanning through the, the, the news feed basically. And I see this picture. It's this woman um, riding in a car and has sort of a Mona Lisa kind of smile on and semi mirrored sunglasses and she's beautiful. And I, and, and below that, it's a picture that, that her son has taken and her son posts it and says, check out my mom. Isn't she hot? <laughs> so he's, he's saying this not just to me. He's saying this to the world, right? And wow. at that moment, as we all know, because we're all Facebook fiends, um, I had three choices. I could have, A, done nothing and continued on my merry way. B, I could have written something like hubba, hubba, hubba. Oh, yeah, she's hot. Right. Probably not appropriate, but I could have done that. Or C, click the like button and move on. And so I did C. I did click the like button and move on and thought nothing more about that, really, too much. Fifteen <laughs> minutes later, I get an email from her son saying, no, really, I think you should meet my mom. I think you'd really like her. her like, I've never heard who, this. Her son Who are you? What? <laughs> Why are you, why are you saying this? Um, and so finally I, I said, uh, sure, you know, I have no, I don't even know where they live. Right. Uh, and I said, yes, you know, if you're ever in California or, you know, you want to come up to the Napa Valley, let me know. And you know, it would be, I would love to meet her. It's, you know, she's, she looks like a, a really lovely person. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, something fairly innocuous, actually, I thought. And another email comes in another five or 10 minutes later saying, are you around this weekend? <laughs> <laughs> Wait, what? So I, my response was, well, I'm here Friday and Saturday, but Sunday I've got to go to Texas for a sales trip. He says, I'm bringing my mom to meet you. Like at this point now I'm looking it up and looking him up on um, Facebook. This, how old is this kid? He was like 25 or something <laughs> like that at the time. Okay. And, uh, I'm looking, I'm looking him up on, uh, on his page and I realize he's in Washington, DC so I'm thinking, wow, that's pretty crazy. Bringing your mom across the country to, fine, sure, why not? So of course, the day of their flying out together, they miss their flight, so they have to split up and I've got to meet her by myself at the airport. I'm standing at the airport going, wow, this could have been, this could be the stupidest thing I've ever done <laughs> my entire life. This could be a complete disaster and I may regret this the rest of my life, right? But. Um, it didn't turn out that way, happily. Uh, it was a lovely first meeting. We had um, a lot of fun. We went to dinner together. It was Fleet Weeks in, in San Francisco, and we were eating along the Barcadero. You could see fireworks going off. I said, hey, first date, I got fireworks for you. How do you beat that? <laughs> but I, <laughs> So we had, we had fun, and, uh, and so we kept in touch, and she came out to California to visit, and we um, met again in New York. She came up from Washington, D.C. to see me when I was working in New York, and you know, sort of one thing led to another. Next thing I know, um, she's, I'm trying to convince her to move to California. So, of course, she has to have... Uh, only, of course, if I'm with a woman, it's somebody with, you know, 
a little more than some intelligence. So she's got all these reasons she doesn't have to move to California. One of which is, I don't really like, you would like her. I don't really like Pinot Noir that much anyway. I'd rather drink Bordeaux or California Cabernet. That's right. That's why I love this woman, because <laughs> she's a Cabernet gal. <laughs> so my response was, because I'm a sales guy, which means, or I, you know, that's kind of one of my backgrounds. Uh, I, I said, fine, move to California, I'll make Cabernet for you. Oh. <laughs> and uh, she moved to California, and I didn't get a chance to do the Cabernet project until later, but um, yeah, I did it. You did it. Wow. And you guys ended up getting, when did you guys get married? 2014. 2014. It was the earthquake. Literally, it was the earthquake. Um, the, you know, the earthquake the, and the Napa earthquake. Yeah. Yeah. So we, you know, we, we, we wake up, the bed is leaping around the the, be, the, the bedroom. Yeah. And uh, like the next day she's, I've been telling her, look, anytime you want to get married, I'm happy to do it. Just let's, you know, let's plan it and, and, and get married. Right. She says, no, I'm okay. I'm okay. Um, and then, you know, like two days later, she goes, we're getting married. I said, great. When do you want to? In, as soon as possible. <laughs> <laughs> we could die anytime. I want to, oh. I want to be married. <laughs> oh, that's great. That's great. Yeah, I do remember this like a surprise. All of a sudden, hey, we're 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 married. We're having a party. It's like, wow, when did that happen? <laughs> yeah, it's fast. All right, that's fourteen, and sixteen was a big year. What happened with sixteen? Yeah. yeah, the big. Well, it move. started in yeah twenty twenty fifteen. We okay. started talking with Sam Michelle, and um, these kinds of events just take forever. I swear. You know, attorneys on both sides and everybody wants to do this or that. And, you know, they absolutely can't do that. And then five minutes later, it's possible. And yeah, I went around and around for a while. But eventually um, we agreed to sell to San Michel. And, uh, and I, I think everybody had their own reason for it, right? right. I mean, and, you know, we've been doing this for a while. Um, and this is kind of what went through my mind. I don't, I can't speak for the other partners, but... Um, we had uh, a complicated partnership agreement and um, you start to say to yourself, well, how much longer do I want to keep working? You mm -hmm. know, is it, is it five years? Is it 10 years? And let's say it's five years. It turns out to be longer than that for me, but let's just say it was five years. In five years, will we have somebody interested in buying us or we'll be looking at a market where nobody is selling and the values of every company has gone down by a quarter? Right. So you got this deal in front of you and you say, you know, maybe this is the best time, even though it doesn't feel like I want to do, I want to quit yet, but maybe this is the best time for this project to end. And, and mm -hmm. uh, I suspect that there were similar thoughts on the other partners, but we never really sat down and talked about, you know, the motivations. It was more, does this deal feel like it's a reasonable deal or not? And it was, because I think, you know, I remember seeing you afterward, you were, you were very content. You were happy about it. Um, well, I think we were, everyone was equally unhappy. <laughs> you know, I think, I think if, if the deal is the buyer thinks they overpaid and the seller thinks that they didn't get quite enough, then that's probably the right deal for everybody. <laughs> well, yeah. So, I, yeah, everybody, everybody's a little upset. It's not, either, not upset, but, you know, yeah. they wish they could have gotten a little bit better deal. on on Everybody, I think, wish they had gotten a little bit better deal out of it, but... Um, you know, it is what it is, and uh, you know, is more money than I'd ever made before, and so it was satisfying to know that what we had worked on for almost thirty years 
actually had value and, mm -hmm. and other people appreciated what we'd been doing. Um, I, we all signed contracts to continue to work for a year. And at the end of that year, um, it was clear that Saint Michel really didn't have a clear idea of what they wanted from me going forward. So my counter proposal was, well, why don't you just um, release me for my non-compete and, uh, and you won't have to pay me anymore. And they said, oh, okay, yeah, <laughs> we'll do that. Well, good. Yeah, so May 1st, 2017, I was released from, uh, from my non-compete with uh, Saint Michel and uh, hit the ground running, started looking for grapes and had plans to do some new projects. And you, you, you and Michelle formed, uh, what's, it's the Donald Pats Wine Group, correct? The Donald Pats Wine Group, yep. Great name, love it. I can't actually put that on the front label because, because I sold the name Pats, yeah. but, <clears throat> but I am allowed to use the Donald Pats Wine Group as a business name. Oh, so good. None, of the, none of the wines are called Donald Pats, but that's okay. It was fun to, uh, to think about new stuff too. No, so, so tell, tell us about the the whole new program because it sounds really exciting i've heard parts of it but not the whole program so what's the deal so i have three new projects like i tell people you know if you sell one of course you're going to start three right <laughs> <laughs> but i really had two in mind um one was to fulfill the promise to my wife to make cabernet for her and um, i was happy to do that and despite the fact that we like to go back and forth over which you know which is the greater grape both are lovely and a lot of fun to work with. Uh, they're quite different, and you approach them differently. Well, and, and, but, Cabernet, um, and Cabernet is really easy, so that's a no-brainer. Super easy, <laughs> yeah. It actually falls off the vine and rolls into the bottle all by itself. I know, isn't it awesome. cool? Awesome. I love it. Elias, I sit back and have a cold <laughs> beer and watch that happen every year. It's so neat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. Um, <laughs> okay. So you're but, making Cabernet. Where's is it Napa Cab, Sonoma Cab? Where is it? I do two. Okay. I'm doing two now. I'm doing one from a vineyard that um, Judy Jordan owns, actually, called Sage Ridge, which is um, up uh, Sage Canyon Road on the opposite ridge line from um, Pritchard Hill. Okay. So Pritchard, as you go up towards um, Lake Berryessa, it, it, uh, Pritchard Hill would be on your right-hand side. Sage Ridge is on the left-hand side, up on the ridge. It's okay. a spectacular site. Spectacular site, man. It, it, it's a good thing you didn't go up there with me that day. You'd be buying grapes from them, too, because it's just gorgeous. These little vineyard plots that sort of run across the ridgeline. And uh, so I signed up for a very small piece there. But even before that, um, I decided that you were lonely in Stag's Leap <laughs> and you needed a real competitor. So, <laughs> so I'm, I'm buying grapes I'm buying grapes from Hirondel Vineyard, which is part of the Cloteval group. Right, um, right. I know. And uh, yeah, I'm getting a little bit of fruit from there, right basically next door to Stegg's Leap Wine Cellars. And uh, it's, it's really cool. I love, I, I've always loved Stegg's Leap. And um, certainly your wines are part of the reason that I like that area, but, but others as well. Sure. No, thank you. Oh, good. All right. So two cabs. And by the way, so the first one, Sage Ridge and Pritchard Hill, that's on the uh, eastern side of the valley. So it is, back, yeah. Up, like in, said, the up in the hills on the hills east. and eastern side. Yeah. So you're at Silver Isle Trail, you head east up the, what's that road? 128. It goes up to Lake yes. Tennessee. Yeah, got it. Sage, Sage Canyon Road. Yes. 
Okay. How long have you all lived right, here, right, Doug? Yeah, you know, I, I ride my bike on that road. I just don't know the name of it. It's that road. <laughs> that road. <laughs> that yeah. road. All right. So you uh, got two cabs. What else do you have? Um, for for that particular project, it's just Cabernet Sauvignon. But but I realized in uh, 2018 I had a little excess fruit, and so I created a secondary label called JML. It's uh, it's my wife's Korean initials, okay. Jungmin Lee, JML. And so we, we make a small amount of, uh, of a second label under that as well, which is really cool. It's a, it's a um, line drawing of my wife's face, actually. It's really accurate. And, you know, if you've ever met her, you immediately recognize who it is on the label. It's, right. it's a lot of fun. But then, um, hang you on, know, I gotta I'll, stop you. Did we talk about the name of the first one? It's called Secret Door Winery. Secret Door, Got yeah, it. That's Secret the Door, cap, the Secret Door Winery. Got it. Thanks. Yep. All right. And uh, let's say it one more time. Secret Door. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the uh, the project that prob- that is the largest of what I'm doing is uh, is focused on Russian River, specifically Russian River Chardonnay and Pinot Noir. Um, you know, brings together all of the stuff that I learned. Um, with Patson Hall, uh, and I'm working with a number of the people that sold grapes to Patson Hall. And, and when I started that in 2017, I specifically told them, um, I'm not buying, I'm not buying grapes from any site where Patson Hall is currently purchasing grapes, because I do not want it to look like I walked out the front door and tried to yank all the best grapes. Um, and but I said after the first year, you know, all bets are off, and if grapes come up in a vineyard that I'm interested in, uh, even if Patson Hall is currently pay- buying them, uh, I- I'd be interested in at least talking about it. So haven't really ended up with a lot of them. There's a couple of vineyards where there's some crossover, but mostly it's separate stuff. Okay. Um, and Chardonnay and Pinot Noir, uh, are things I really love. But you know, the cool thing about this, Doug, is that uh, after doing Patson Hall, you know, working with Patson Hall and doing the Patson Hall stuff for 28 years, I got a chance to start over and really wipe the slate clean and just say, okay, you know, 28 years ago when I started this stuff, this is what I thought was super important and what I wanted to drink. But you know what? I'm a little older now and different and probably want to drink something different. So let's make the wines I want to drink today as opposed to the ones I wanted to drink in 88. And uh, it was really fun, really fun. Got to look at you know different vineyards and think about um, how that might play into the style of winemaking that I was interested in doing. And so, the essence of the differences have been: I'm picking the grapes a little less high in sugar than mm-hmm. we used to do for Pats and Hall, um, specifically in order to get the the acid pH balance where I want it to be, and make Chardonnay that is refreshing and bright and um, but yet complex and, you know, has the, the depth to be a serious wine. That has been really a revelation. Uh, and then with, with Pinot Noir, um, a similar kind of thing. Again, picking a little less high in sugar, but um, also using a lot more whole cluster. So we're doing 50% whole cluster. And, and for me, that really brings out the Pinot, that, the Pinot perfume that really exotic sort of Pinot-y character that's just not like any other red grape and is sort of, for me, the best thing about Pinot Noir. So, a lot of fun. And that's, uh, so that's your second project. What's the name of that's that one? That's called Maritana Vineyards. Got it. Maritana. So the label so will I, say Maritana. That's going to be the... It does, yeah. Okay, got it. 
And strangely enough, the secret door actually says secret door on it too. <laughs> you know, that's what I like about you. You really know what you're doing. You're a consistent guy. That's super, good. You, you must have, you probably got, a, you probably have a sales background, don't you? I bet you do. I might. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I might. All right. That's two. You say you got three. Yeah, what else do you have? I do. <laughs> and so by, you know, by the, by basically the first of June of 2017, I had both of these sort of roughed out. I knew right. where the grapes were coming from. And um, I knew where I was going to make the wines, and uh, I had a plan for each of those. And so I was curious because a friend of mine was at the um, Aspen Food and Wine. It was basically asking him, how is it? Is it going well this year? Are you, um, you know, seeing the right kind of people? Things like that. Uh, and so we had a very short conversation about that. He, he, he kind of convinced me I didn't need to go, but, um, but I was going to continue to think about it. And sort of at the very end, sort of a throwaway moment, he says, oh, and by the way, I'm sitting here at the bar in Aspen with Francois Villard from the Northern Rhone Valley, and he's talking about doing another um, California project. Would you be interested? <laughs> and I said, I just kind of came out of a partnership, so I'm not really excited about starting another partnership. But you know what? Look, have them come to California. We'll go see vineyards together. And if we like each other enough, we, we can, you know, talk about it. And so uh, sure enough, he came out in August of 2017. We went to see some vineyards and decided we were, we were going to make um, our own style California wine uh, from um, a vineyard up in Mendocino that I bought Chardonnay and Pinot from for years called Alder Springs Vineyard. Right, and, right. And, uh, and so... For me, um, this this site is really good for Chardonnay and Pinot, but I think it's maybe even better for these these Rhone varieties. It's an amazing site at elevation, with um, with a crazy grower who who will pretty much do anything as necessary in order to create fantastic wines. So I thought we'd probably do Viognier and um, and Syrah probably. Mm -hmm. But um, Francois and I went up there together and he starts running up and down the rows of Marsan and Roussan and I'm like, oh my God, is there a more <laughs> difficult cluster of grapes to figure out how to sell than a combination of Marsan and Roussan? This is nuts. What are yeah, we doing? Yeah. But it's actually turned out to go pretty well. I think I'm actually selling a little bit more white than I am Syrah right now. That's great. But we did a blend. We did okay. a blend. So we were doing Marsan, Roussan blend. In 2017, and then in 2018, we added Pic Pool Blanc and Viognier to the to the mix in small amounts, and uh, the combination we call Sapage d'Or or Grapes of Gold or Golden Grapes, whatever you want to call it, okay. however you want to translate that. But um, yeah, fermented separately, and then the blend comes together um, usually a few months before bottling. Okay, uh, but I really I'm kind of shocked at how how much I like drinking that white wine that. A blend, uh, not something I originally thought I was going to really love, but but it's, it's I find myself sort of grabbing a bottle more frequently than I ever imagined. And then Syrah, I mean, you do a Syrah Petit Syrah blend, right? Right, right. Which sounds like a great idea to me too. But um, my my French partner is all about 100% Syrah, so we're, that's what we're doing. Uh, and again, at elevation, it's extraordinary sight. So. Yeah, the wines have turned out beautifully. Great. And the name for that one is that third project. So I started, I wanted to use the word terminus, 
because I had some reasons for it. It's the Roman God of borders and boundaries, but somebody else had already used that. Um, although they weren't apparently currently making any or bottling any wine under that label, I just didn't want to get in a, you know, trademark war. So I changed it a little bit to Terminum. Still sounds sort of lat. So not U-M at the end, it's I-M. Terminum, mm -hmm. I guess. <clears throat> Which um, for me says a couple of things. First of all, three projects is kind of the border. I mean, this is as far as I'm willing to go. I'm not going to do four <laughs> or five or ten projects. Three is plenty. Um, also, driving to northern Mendocino County is kind of a long way away. So I'm drawing the border of where I'm willing to go <laughs> at the That's edge a long of that haul. vineyard. It's five hours. Long, 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 long drive. It's a long drive. Yeah, windy roads. So, but, um, and also because the grape varieties are coming from the Rhone Valley and I'd listened to a couple of podcasts on the Roman empire and I, I, I didn't realize this, although I'm not really sure why I, I didn't, I didn't realize how important the Rhone Valley was actually to the overall Roman empire hmm. for a lot of reasons. It was a source of not just wine, but all kinds of agricultural products and to be, be able to run up and down that river with goods and, um, you know, uh, grain and mm -hmm. wine and all kinds of stuff was a, in, an enormous benefit. So um, there is a long history of uh, influence in the in the Rhone Valley from the Roman Empire. And in, in fact, I, I've heard of people like plowing their vineyards and suddenly, you know, like a statue head occurs in the middle of their vineyard, just got <laughs> something from the spit Roman. up by yeah. the earth. Yeah. That's wild. And I was walking down this little um, alleyway basically with all this cobble rock wall, um, you know, sort of rounded rocks and, and right in the middle of it was a hunk of marble. And I thought, that's not a local rock. That yeah. almost certainly was brought here by the Romans. And so the, the background of the label includes um, a sort of, sort of semi-marbleized character that indicate that sort of Roman presence and sort of, in, you know, sort of evocative of, of a, a different time and place. Mm -hmm. But it's California, and we want these to be California wines. They're not supposed to be like wannabe Rome, uh, Rhone wines. They're, they really are California wines that we, that we really love. Nice, nice. So... Where you guys? Where are you making the wines? Are you making them all in the same place? No, you know, I really part of it was I wanted to be able to separate Cabernet from the Chardonnay and Pinot project, and mm -hmm. um, because it's a different mindset, and you know, the guys in in the Napa Valley are really used to doing Napa Valley Cabernet, right. where in Sonoma they're good at winemaking, but you know, slightly different mindset. Um, and vice versa, you know, I wanted to do um, Russian River Pinot Noir and Chardonnay in a particular style that probably is quite different from a lot of California, Napa Valley people. Mm -hmm. um, and so I, I separated them on purpose. And so I'm making the Cabernet, again, custom crush, sort of the way we started Passon Hall um, in Calistoga at a winery there called Envy Winery. And the Chardonnay and Pinot project now is at um, Grand Cru Custom Crush in Windsor, and they have been fantastic with Chardonnay and Pinot Noir for me. And so I write the work orders and oversee it, but they've got the teams in place to run to you know to actually do the work. You got it going. So you got three new projects. You <laughs> got a lot going on. Just I, I'm a little bit scared to ask. You got anything else going on? Anything new I should know about? <clears throat> uh, no. 
Okay, good, <laughs> good, good. You know, just just living the life, man. And, you know, I, I, I'm leaving tomorrow to go down to Southern California to see my mom, who is 94 years old now, and um, I'm glad to still have her with us. Uh, but she's had some health problems recently, so, um, you know, you worry about all kinds of other stuff. It's, uh, it's as you well know, um, doing wine and, and running a wine business is, uh, is really all-consuming. It's not just a, you know, roll into work at 10 o'clock and think about leaving at 2. Even if you want to, it just won't let you. No, and, yeah. And, and, you know, so I'm in that same situation. I'm super busy with all kinds of stuff, but at the same time, I think you have to, you have to have time for family stuff as well. Good. Well, I'm glad you're going down to see her. But uh, so these three new projects, <laughs> how do people get a hold of them? How do they find these new wines? You know, they, everybody well, knows they're... about Patson Hall, but that's 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 history now. What uh, the new stuff? How do they find yeah, it? Yeah, you can. Um, if you do a Google search on Donald Pats, my new stuff all pops up. So. I have a I have several websites. I've got the the one probably to start from is donaldpatswinegroup.com. Okay. donaldpatswinegroup.com. Um or they can email me at um donald at donaldpatswinegroup.com. <laughs> um and I'll be happy to give them additional information. But uh each of each each wine project has its own website too. So there's one for Maritana Vineyards, there's one for Secret Door Wines, and there's one for Terminum Wines. Good. Lots of options, lots of ways to go. And I want to try the uh the new white wine. So um can you bring a bottle of lunch sometime? When we yeah. back to having lunch, please. I think so. Yeah. It's time to start that again. I'm really glad that you brought that up because um I think you owe me lunch this time. I do owe you lunch and I'll, <laughs> I'll bring a bottle of Cabernet just to show you how you really make it. Oh, I'm I sure really that you that? will. I'm <laughs> sure you will try just to, just to show you how Elias makes it. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. Donald, so good to hear your voice and catch up with you. And uh, thanks for sharing your story. It's been yeah, it was really fun. I'm right. glad that you. I'm glad that we got in touch. Two right. years later. All right, all right. I'm buying no. lunch. I'm buying lunch. <laughs> no, no. It's great. It's great to be able to chat with you about it too, and because we haven't had a chance to really talk about all of this stuff one on one, so it's fun to do it today. I felt like we were just having you and me have a con a conference, and uh, and let's let's include some other people and let them hear about it today too. And thank you again for the opportunity. You bet, buddy. Great talking to you. Be good. Safe travels. Thank you. All right. See ya. Bye. Bye. I think what I like most about Donald Pats is just how much he loves the world of wine. The grapes, the people, all the different projects you can get involved in. Everything. I've known him for a lot of years, but never had a chance for a conversation like this. So I hope it was as fun for you as it was for me. Do yourself a favor and check out all the wines he's making these days. The best place to start is online at donaldpatswinegroup.com. If you enjoy what you hear on The Taste and want to help other people find the podcast, please take a moment to rate and review us on iTunes. It helps others find conversations just like the one here today. Thanks again for checking out this new episode. We'll see you next time.